Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. If we hadn't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Reverend Chase. I'm the other one of the pastors here at Perigo First United Methodist Church, and it is such a joy and honor to be here to worship God with you all, those who are here and those who are joining us online. We're going to continue on in our conversation and in looking at this letter to the, the believers at Corinth uh, in chapter 15 today. And we're also going to have a reading from the gospel because it is important to have the gospel central to our time together in worship. So our first reading comes from Corinthians and the second one will come from Luke chapter 5. I invite you to hear these words. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you are also standing, through which you are also being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then He appeared to James, and then to the apostles, last of all, as, one, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaimed, and so you have come to believe. The Gospel Lesson According to Luke Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and a crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two other boats there on the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets, he got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little way from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of the fish that they had taken and, also, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. This is the word of God for we, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, as, as we draw our attention towards your holy text this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit move among us. Lord, write on our hearts what you would have us here today so that we may be faithful disciples of you to share the good news to others. 
In Christ's holy name, amen. I hope that you have enjoyed the weather over the past few days. By a show of hands, how many of you love the snow? How, how many of you could do without the snow? Yeah, I heard the other day somebody said the way to drive in the snow and the ice is to get an all-terrain vehicle with weather, all-weather tires and then head to Florida. That's how you, that's how you deal with snow. Well, I've really enjoyed seeing pictures over the past few days of people sledding by different means. I think I saw one friend of mine was pulling someone with a horse and some four-wheelers and maybe just going down over here down the street to sled. I saw a great couple of recipes that people were trying out. I saw some people that were working from home or doing a mixture of both and, and maybe some, some people that were just relaxing and drinking coffee and enjoying the quiet of the snow. To be honest, I like the snow, but I'm good for about two days. You know, day three, I'm ready for it to all go away. But day one, I'll be honest, I got out and I played with the Jeep a little bit and had some fun in the snow, took some pictures and, and some videos. And, and day one, I also cooked a couple of um, healthy meals. Some of those meals I'll have to work off this week uh, just because, you know, biscuits and gravy, all that good stuff. Day two, I, I did something really crazy. I watched TV. Yeah, I don't watch a lot of TV, so, so for me to sit down and actually attentively watch TV is something that's outside of my wheelhouse, but I started watching um, different shows that were um, on TV and reading different reviews because I want to know if the show's going to be good before I watch it, and, and I came to Disney, Disney Plus, and I came across this show called Encanto. Has anybody seen Encanto? Okay, a couple, couple of hands going up everywhere. Yeah, and it was okay. It was pretty good. You know, it was your typical enchanted Disney movie. The story goes that there's a family that lives in this magical house, and each family member had their own special gifts, and the gifts that the family members had contributed to the work that the family was doing, which also was a benefit for the community. But there was one granddaughter, Mirabelle, who did not have a special gift. She was just ordinary. And so this movie follows her experience in finding her place within this larger story that surrounded her. And in doing so, over and over again, she battles with this question of understanding her worthiness to be a part of this larger story. And you'll have to watch the movie to see, to see how that works out. But as I was watching this movie, I thought to myself, man, this sounds vaguely familiar. How so? Well, though it's certainly not the same story, Disney movies can address some issues that people face, and they offer this in a, offer a creative way to consider any issue at hand. And as we have spent the past couple of weeks looking at this letter to the believers of Corinth, there were some relatable issues being addressed in that movie. Today, in reading this text, I'm thinking about Mirabella's experience of considering worthiness and a sense of belonging to a larger story. For the past several weeks, we've been working through this ongoing correspondence between Paul and the believers at Corinth. And today we begin chapter 15. Chapter 15 is Paul's strategic, dense, lengthy defense of resurrection. In fact, this is the greatest sustained discussion surrounding a topic that we have from Paul. So we're going to break this topic up in the next couple of weeks over chapter 15. And as we have done in the past of this series today, we're going to engage in a bit of a Bible study as we look at the opening of this chapter. And here we're going to see how Paul begins his defense of resurrection in response to the believers at Corinth. 
And so I invite you to follow along in your bulletin, or you can use the screen as we work through this text together. We're going to start with verse 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you. The text that we've observed over the past several weeks, Paul has told the believers that, you know, guys, you know God. You have spiritual gifts. You're mature in your faith. You're spiritual people. You're strong. You are filled with the Spirit. You are rich, and you are part of the kingdom of God. And all of these things are good, yet Paul finds it necessary at this point of the correspondence to remind them of a fundamental building block of their faith. And Paul says that this fundamental building block was not something that he just came up with, right? But it's something that has been given to him and to others. And we can see that in verse 3 where Paul reminds them that this is a message that is shared, that it's passed down, And he goes on to recap the message through a short creed. Now, each week in the traditional services, after we hear the word of God read and then proclaimed, we affirm our faith as we say together the Apostles' Creed. We do something similar in here. We have an adaptive creed that we utilize in this space when we celebrate the baptism of someone. And so if you don't know it, and maybe you do know it, the creed starts off, We believe, I believe, in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Do you know what comes next? Yeah, I'm hearing that, was crucified, dead, and buried. And so in verse 3 and 4, Paul offers this basic creed. He says this message that was given to him and what he is given to the believers at Corinth is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That Christ was buried and that, that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. In the opening four verses of this very long dialogue, Paul writes to the believers at Corinth that this message, this life, this death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very structure of their existence. It's the way by which they are being saved, being brought into a larger story, God's story. The message is the foundation by which they stand and the foundation that they should hold on to. As we have looked at the rest of the letter over the past few weeks, we have seen over and over again Paul trying to get the Corinthians to understand where and who they are in God's story. And how interesting is it that just now, after hearing all other concerns, after hearing all of the issues around the, the surrounding the faith community, everything that we've read from chapter 1 to 14, Paul now emphasizes their foundational building block, or their, what I like to call, their roots. It's their roots. At the beginning of the year, I spent... 14 days in Dallas for a class or two classes. Um, I attend uh, Southern Methodist University. I stayed downtown, downtown Dallas, and the school is just two miles north on Highway 75, so still downtown Dallas. During two weeks, friends, I saw less than 100 trees, and there was a piece of concrete or building within a few yards at all time. 
At the end of those two weeks, I was ready for my GPS to say, Welcome to Arkansas. I, I have a British GPS, right? I, I was ready to come home. And every time I make this trip and this last time, you know, driving back, there's just a, a sense of being home when I hit that pine line outside of Texarkana. There's a second breath of excitement that I get outside of Searcy and then even another one when I come over that last bridge headed towards Newport and the fields, you know, just open up. I'm home. I'm at a place where I felt connected, where I belong. Whenever I make this trip and I, and I hit those moments of, of home, being feeling of home, I think about that song, you know, where I come from, there's cornbread and chicken. Y'all know that song, right? Yeah, home. It's, it's where my roots are. It's, it's the place that shaped me and formed me, my roots that create my story. When Paul writes about foundation and roots, he isn't necessarily talking about the Corinthians equivalent to cornbread or chicken or timberline or the delta moments. Their heritage is essential to who they were, but it's only a part of who they were called to be. And so in this lengthy discussion on resurrection, in these first few verses, Paul opens up with a reminder to the believers at Corinth saying, you have received the message And now you are part of a new story. You are part of God's story that is rooted in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to share a bit of his own personal reflection as he places places himself among the witnesses who have received and who have shared this message. In verse 8 and 9 he says, You know, I am the least of all of these. Am I fit to be called an apostle? He goes on to name some of the areas of his background that he needed grace in. And some of those reasons that he believed that he was unfit might justifiably be so. So in writing this letter, I can imagine Paul even then wrestling with his own understanding of his worthiness to be a part of what God was doing, to be a part of God's story. Wrestling with trying to comprehend one's own worthiness in relationship with God wasn't unique to Paul, and it isn't unique to Paul. We can look back several centuries and go to a psalm where the psalmist writes, I'm paraphrasing, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I see all the works that you have created, and when I see all these wonderful things, I think, who is humankind? That you are mindful of us. From Paul, we can fast forward several centuries where we have songs and lyrics that reflect that scripture. Who am I that you are mindful of me? That you hear me when I call. So throughout the span of humanity, we wrestle with a sense of worthiness along with Paul. And Paul unpacks this thought very briefly, delicately, and simply. In verse 10, Paul says, It is by the grace of God that I am what I am. My faith and my actions of faith are not of my merits or my own doing, but they are by the grace of God that is within me. Such a short selection of scripture for this opening section. Yet already dense and rich with things that we can relate to as we consider our own practices of faith. So what can we take away from our reading today? Surely there are a number of things, but just two things I want you to consider. One is worthiness. 
trustworthiness. None of us come to God's grace from anything that we do. But friends, God extends God's grace to us. And God did so before we even knew that we needed God's grace. And I love that. Before we begin to ponder our own worthiness of how can we address God, how can we be a part of what God is doing, God's grace was already extended to us, and we see that in the message of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection. Grace is the fundamental building block of our faith, not our worthiness. Grace is God's undeserved, unmerited love that is continually saving us. Second thing is this. Our place in a story. God's grace calls us, and God's grace makes a space for us to be a part of a new story, to live and be active in the present and eternal hope of the resurrected Christ. God invites us to be a part of God's story of what God has done, what God continues to do in this world, that the world and those who believe will be changed forever, that they will be made new, that they will be rooted in reflecting God's love. And as for Paul, as for those before him, as the believers of Corinth, God's story of grace is a message that we can hold firm to. It's a message that we can share. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your grace. Your grace that goes before we even are aware that we even need it. Your grace that makes way for us to be a part of this story. And your grace that is continually with us, changing our hearts and molding us to reflect your love, your light, so that we may share that with others. Nurture us today as you welcome us to your table so that we may share your story. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.